Friends, I am really excited because Bad Theology Kills, my book that I published over two years ago, is finally going to be available on Audible. Yes! I'm so freaking excited because it I didn't know what I was doing wrong, but I hired somebody. They fixed it. It's going up. It's currently in the review process. But if you want to get a preview, if you want to listen to how your boy sounds on the track, you can go to thekevingarcia.com slash subscribe. And when you subscribe to my newsletter, you will get access to the, the introduction, um, which is like a solid 15 minutes. And it honestly is the most... If you listen to nothing else, it's the best part of the book, if you ask me. So go to thekevingarcia.com slash subscribe, get it and download it. And if you already are a subscriber, check your inbox. It should be waiting in there very, very soon. And that's it. Let's get into the show. babes and welcome back to another episode of a tiny revolution a podcast about ordinary folks living revolutionary lives i hope you're doing well i'm currently recording this on november 14th which is my 33rd birthday woo woo and y'all i gotta say i just feel really really amazed and overwhelmed and grateful to you for tuning in if you're new to the show hi welcome i know that we get a lot of new listeners around here because deconstruction is an ever-expanding conversation and the people are coming in hot um but just know you are so welcome here know that if you are pulling your faith apart or you don't know what you believe that there is a better way of doing spirituality and hopefully today uh this conversation helps you do that um a little bit better so what i would love for you to do is to tune in to the words of my friend Jenny Booth Potter, who wrote the amazing new book, Doing Nothing is No Longer an Option, One Woman's Journey into Everyday Anti-Racism. Jenny Booth Potter is a creative producer, a storyteller, and the co-host of The Next Question, a series about expanding our conversations and imaginations around racial justice. She has co-led racial justice trainings for churches and organization, and is a founding partner of Herself Media, a company that aims to create stories that empower and bring joy to black women. Jenny Booth Potter and I have been friends on the internet for a good minute, and it was so cool to finally sit down and talk with her. Um, So, yeah, go get yourself a copy of Doing Nothing is No Longer an Option. There's going to be a giveaway on my Instagram this week, so make sure you are checking that out. But for now, grab yourself something to drink, cozy up, and enjoy this conversation with my friend, Jenny Booth Potter. Hey, all the humans out there in podcast land, you're listening to A Tiny Revolution, a podcast about ordinary folks living revolutionary lives. Today, I'm joined by the one and only Jenny V. Potter, author of the new, new, new book, yeah, new book. How long has it been out for? Less than three weeks. Less than three weeks. Author of the new book, Doing Nothing is No Longer an Option. And welcome to A Tiny Revolution. <sighs> Ooh, thank you for, I don't know if that was applause or jazz hands or a little bit of both, but I'll, I'll take it. I'm so happy to be here, Kevin. I'm such a fan of you and of the pod and all things you. So anything that's under your umbrella... Listen, the only under umbrella I'm under is that one where it's God, husband, wife, children, and then me. Well, no, I think it's you're trying to spell joy, which is Jesus, others, yourself. Yeah, that's right. I was. I also think it was like the the umbrella of pro, like holy protection. Like 
you got to be under your husband's protection. Otherwise, you're not under God's protection. Oh, well, yeah. Or some shit like that. Anyways, hi, I'm really glad to be sitting down with you and hanging out and getting to talk to you about your book and your work and like actually get to spend some time because I think like we've only probably seen each other in passing once maybe and then seen each other on the internet a whole lot. Did we? Have we met like for real in real life? Like with mutual you know, friends or like three I mutual don't think, friends? I, don't, I mean like. It's fine. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I wish I did. Um, but either way, I'm sure it'll happen in real life very soon. But uh, who the heck are you? When people when people ask you who you is, what you do, who, what do you say? How do you introduce yourself right now? Ooh, I love the right now part. Um, I think it depends who's asking me. <laughs> I, I am recognizing that I have a little bit of a... <laughs> I put on different hats. So... Uh, at my kid's school, I'm just Elliot and Milo's mom. That's like just the easiest in and out. Like who I am related to. Why is this lady on our school property? Oh, it's because I'm Elliot and Milo's mom. So I have an eight-year-old and a six-year-old. Uh, I am a storyteller. I've always loved the power of story. And so growing up, I was involved in theater and I love to read and I love to write. And then as I got older, I started working for nonprofits and helping tell the stories of what, you know, these organizations were doing and then worked at a mega church where I told testimonials of conversion and all the good, you know, like out of the, out of the gutter <laughs> into the glory of God. Um, and now I wrote this book that is like, I literally feel like she's a part of my body. So it feels very strange that she is just out in the world for anyone to consume at any moment. Uh, so I'm mm -hmm. also an Enneagram one. I am in therapy. <laughs> I, <laughs> yes. I just turned 40 in October and I'm learning more about my sign and feeling like that's between Enneagram and being a Libra, I'm like, whoa, like I am, mm -hmm. yeah, like in a lot of self-discovery. Um, I am married. My husband, John, and I have been married for 13 years. And uh, I'm just trying to hang out with Austin Channing Brown as much as I possibly can. So <laughs> she and I have worked on so many projects together, including the next question, which I know... Uh, think you have watched you're familiar with oh yeah i watched i backed i loved it uh yeah it was a kickstarter campaign that we started under austin's uh creative vision for let's take some of these conversations we're having on race and <laughs> not make them be so dumb <laughs> like let's let's move past some of the why can't white people say the n-word and let's sit down with <laughs> nicole hannah jones and uh, and, you know, Brene Brown and other like leaders and thinkers. Andre Henry was a guest that was so brilliant. We had to turn that into two episodes. Um, mm -hmm. So I think uh, I am someone who believes in the power of story. I see story throughout our histories, both big and small. And I think that storytelling has such power if we let it. So, so that's really me what storyteller means and i apparently need like five minutes to 
to unpack it. Mm-hmm. But yeah. As you should, because a a word like that means a thousand different things to a thousand different people. Like there are people who are on Twitter who's like, I'm a storyteller. I'm just like, it's like, you're in eighth grade. What are you doing? Why are you on Twitter? First of all, if you're only in eighth grade, um, just kidding. I've been on, what makes me really sad about that is like, I've been on Twitter since I was, it was like tweet to text from your flip phone. So I would text Twitter to tweet back in the day. I didn't even know that's the origin story of that. Oh yeah. Text to tweet, baby. Cause like, like not everybody had a smartphone at the time. Yeah. Wow. We are pioneers, Kevin. Here we are just two peak millennials, like running the streets or you, would you say, no, you're Gen, you're a Gen Xer. Yeah. <sighs> what is the cutoff? I don't know. I, like in between. I don't know. I think I'm like that weird in between where like I was, yeah, I don't even I don't even know. I feel like I Google it all the time and then I forget, which I'm like, oh, I think that just means I'm old. <laughs> like I don't know what generation that is. <laughs> it just means uh, just like I fell through the cracks. Worried. I never uh... And it's also I also think it's different because just like if you grew up any sort of Christian in those things or like conservative or sheltered, just like your affinity for your generations like uh identifying like pop culture moments or even political moments are going to be very different. Mm. So, like, I was thankful. I was, my mom wasn't one of those Christian moms that didn't allow me to listen to like Britney Spears and stuff like that. Although, maybe she should have totally. stopped that because mm, totally corrupted my youth. Anyways, we're here to talk about your book, the things you're doing. Um, uh, because a lot of your work has been around mobilizing white folks around anti racism work and advancing those conversations. So, let's start with a really you know, easy and broad question. What's the book about? What are people, someone picks up the book, what are, what are they in for? Thank you for asking that. I was doing an interview recently where they said their first question was, can you explain um, American racism to people abroad? <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh. Can you explain <laughs> American racism to, no, I tried. Like, like in, like, I'm just like. Oh, I was <laughs> transatlantic. I was, yeah, I was talking about the invention of race and the difference between indentured servants versus. Uh, yeah, I was. So I would love, Kevin. I would love to answer this question that you have just asked me. Yeah, tell me about your <laughs> book. So the book is. Uh, it's called Doing Nothing is No Longer an Option, which is a direct quote from me. Uh, in college, I went on like a racial justice journey with my with my college, uh, like university ministries. I went to a small Christian liberal arts school in Chicago, and they had this like three-day deep dive into America's history, really through a racialized lens. And uh, so the the trip, like, go on all these, uh, we go to all these, like, locations, and I'm seeing history kind of come alive for the first time. I'm from the Midwest, so even going to the South was kind of a new experience for me. But it wasn't just what I was seeing on working plantations where I was hearing that there were good slave owners and bad slave owners, and how lucky for us that we were visiting a plantation where they were the good slave owners um, to seeing wow. where I'm okay with shot and killed to 
uh, going to a lynching museum where there's all the, these records of recorded lynchings that are not just in the 1910s and 20s and 30s, but into the 80s and 90s and all mm. over the country, right? Not just this, not just, no one cared if they were south of the Mason-Dixon line, if they were uh, murdering a Black person. That didn't come into question. Like, am I in the south? Am I allowed to do that? Oh, no, I'm not. Mm. So I, I guess I shouldn't kill this person. So I'm mm. seeing all these things. And that was, that was like foundation shattering on its own. But then the whole concept of the trip is you're partnered up with a, with a black person. If you're not black, you're partnered with a black person. And so I'm hearing the responses from all these black students and like the pain that they're experiencing, the anger, the frustration that this is yet again, how stories are being told. And we ha we ha we got to the end of one of these uh sites that we were visiting and white student after white student just started making excuses and like well what about the holocaust and i wasn't there and then like a black person would go up and be like can you please like see the pain that we're experiencing and something about that moment uh, just something like changed and so I went up to the front of that bus and I had kind of like a weird out of body experience where I know I was talking, but I don't know what I was saying. And then I just heard a bunch of applause and I looked up and it was a bunch of the black students on the bus. And I just, something within me just broke. And I knew that the way that I saw the world had just changed the way that I was going mm. to continue walking in the world as a white woman was going to change. And I said those words, I said, you know, I can't fix your pain, but I can see it. And I can vow that for the rest of my life, doing nothing is no longer an option for me. And that really became my anchor to the work. I started shifting my friend group, my social group, my volunteer work on campus. I started getting internships that were related to racial justice. Uh, it, it really took root in like both really deep internal ways and also external ways in how I wanted to to be in the world. And that was, you know, almost 20 years ago. So I've been on this path for a really long time. And I think by being on this path for so long and mostly working like alongside and behind people of color, um, I often become quote, the safe person if we're in a space with white people where they will come mm -hmm. up to me and ask questions. And so after years of doing this work, I, and being white myself like i know deeply um the the fears that white people have about caring about issues of racial injustice but being un uh their fear is misplaced because they're more afraid of doing things wrong than their fear of the outcomes of racism continuing yes. and so that mm -hmm. is what i am trying to do and that is really the mission of this book is to not coddle people not be coddling my white audience, but helping them basically come to that point that I am afraid mm -hmm. of the wrong things. And so if I'm afraid of that, that means that I'm going to say things and mess Let's up. Let's highlight oh, well, who that cares? for a minute. You are afraid of the wrong things. I was talking to, like, I did a podcast interview with this 
pa- like white pastor at an evangelical church. I don't know how the fuck I ended up agreeing to be on that podcast. I think I said, Me neither. <laughs> but it was, I mean, like he was really like doing a good, like middle of the road thing, but he kept talking about just like, I'm afraid I'm going to get canceled. I'm afraid I'm going to get canceled. And he kept using those words cancel. I'm just like, first of all, you don't know what you're talking about. And two, people don't get canceled for fucking up someone's no. pronouns once. Or, you know, no. like people don't get can- Like, you get canceled. I mean, let me not. Let me not. But I'm Do just you like, get canceled? Like, what are you, like, <laughs> uh, has anyone ever truly been canceled? Ellen DeGeneres. But that was also because her show was like needed to go. But that's a different story for another time. Um, <laughs> this is not my pop culture show. Um, <laughs> we could go there. We could. That's what's so interesting for so many people is they are so afraid of the wrong thing. They're afraid of them say, like trying to do the right thing and someone else correcting them or like giving them a further piece of advice. Or even like they're afraid of other people's criticisms as well. I, I think what that reveals is a short-sighted vision for the work. And I so and what I mm. mean by that is why someone stops following the script as a white person of I don't see color or we solved racism, you know, 40 years ago like Obama, you know, like whatever <laughs> whatever they want right, to throw right, out right. to kind of <laughs> to kind of deflect once people start being like, okay, maybe Obama wasn't actually the Messiah and we still have, you know, oh, wait, wasn't Trayvon Martin murdered when Obama was president? So maybe this isn't this airtight, you know, solution. I think when people start the work, it is not always in earnest solely for the flourishing of all people, right? Like, I I think sometimes you're just like, okay, I see it. So I have to like say something or do something or else I'll appear racist. And I don't want to appear racist. And I don't, you know, so, so when that becomes your vision, (laughs) when that becomes your, your marker of success. Yeah. No, no, no. They just don't want to be called racist. They don't, I mean that I I think Ah. that's what they don't want to appear racist. Right. I, I think that's the starting point mm-hmm. for so many people. I know it was for me from an early age of like, ooh, racist bad. So like, you know, what do I need to do to make people think I'm not racist? As opposed to actually engaging in a vision for the flourishing of all humans, which means sometimes I'm going to be called out for the fact that I benefit from racist systems and institutions that I belong to or that I benefit from or from a history of parents who were able to be educated and have savings and were able to buy a home and give me, you know, pass money on when I wanted to buy my first home. Like those are race, those are racialized institutions that I benefit from. So I think people need to move on from being afraid for being canceled, if you want to use that language, or being called a racist and lean into the freedom that comes when you just admit uh-huh, I'm racist. Let's move on. What do I need to do to try to connect from that reality? What do I need to do to make the racism smaller in my body and in my life? What do I need to do to, to absolve for these privileges that I have or share these privileges? But 
you know, I, I, I always liken this to people being in denial of symptoms when they're sick and just, they're so terrified mm. of going to the doctor and getting it, get it, getting a real yes. diagnosis. Right. And it is scary. Like I've just been at something about turning 40. I uh, like October was like doctor month and it is scary. It is scary when they draw your blood and they're like, we'll email you in the portal, like your results. And you're like, oh my God, like, what am I, you know, what are you going to tell me is going on inside of me? That's a scary, vulnerable place, but it's the only place mm-hmm. that you can come up with a treatment plan. It's the only place that you can mm-hmm. come up with, you know, lifestyle changes if you have a clear diagnosis. And so mm-hmm. I think so many white people are terrified of that being the diagnosis and they're determined to deflect from from that at any cost because mm. because it's not just a box that you get to check of like check I'm not a racist moving on with my day you're like so if it's true that I'm a racist and I benefit from these institutions and interpersonal advantages now what and it's that now mm. what that overwhelms the shit out of people out of white people yeah. right it's like we heard it in 2020. It was like, oh my God, like racism is everywhere. What should I do? And as if it's like one thing, as if it's one time, as if it's not literally like turning everything in your life upside down. That's scary. That's hard. Yes. That's not easy to do, Yeah, but it's necessary. It's a change in orientation for your life. Like you have, like, I, I think it's, obviously different like um i when i was cutting my teeth like coming out of the closet i cut my teeth with uh black and brown queer trans organizers and and seeing Mm -hmm. how it's not just kevin this is not just about same-sex marriage this is not just about getting churches to become approving of same-sex relationships like this Mm -hmm. is about undoing what has been done for hundreds and thousands of years. This is about uprooting and reorienting your life around groups of people who do not share the same structures of family and friendship and economics as you. And and being able to also like know when to step up and know when to shut up and yes. know when to step back yes. and know when to... to and there's, and there's, well, I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to do that. I'm just like, of course you don't. You've never mm-hmm. done it before. And totally. it, the way I tell people, I'm just like, you got to recognize when you mess up, not if, when you will. Amen. Mm-hmm. The answer, yep. your, your entire, like you want to avoid a lot of grief for yourself. Try not to react initially, if at all. Just listen, just listen, just listen, just listen. Yeah. And then take it in. Is it, and then just ask, is it true? Because maybe it is. Yeah. And if it is true, wonderful. Then I've got the, the steps for me to change my behavior, not so that I can become a better person, but so that I do not cause anyone else to suffer any longer. That's really, I, I don't want to cause suffering. Mm-hmm. Again, it's, it's not a if, it's when. When I, mess, when I mess up, will I be able to say, I am so sorry. I'm really thankful for you telling me. I'm sorry that I didn't understand. I want to do better. Is there something that you could like, you can ask them to recommend something if you want to, or you can go ask, you know, your one, your one friend who, you know, you can go to, or, you know, call me a Jenny. We might know. Yeah. 
please call me. Eight four. Oh wait, I was about to actually give my phone number, but then I was going to give the eight six seven five three zero nine, which is the Jenny song, which is what I actually wanted to do. Um, no, Kevin, I love literally everything you're saying, which is why I rudely interrupted you because I was so excited to say yes, yes, yes. I think one of the um, one of the things that white people or to to like widen the conversation, like you just did, like the reducing of harm is such an important component of it and the not making not letting your shame about like making the mistake of you know when you when you mess up not having that become more the focus than the actual harm that was done like it's this it's this delicate dance of oh my god if my if my goal is to reduce harm and then one time of course i didn't reduce harm and I caused harm, but now I'm making the person I harmed comfort me. <laughs> like, well, that's not yeah. because, because I know that, the, oh, I messed up my, my goal in this work. And it's like, well, that's, um, that's a choice. And now you've like doubly caused harm or you doubly caused injury or, um, I would also just say, you're just person. being annoying. You are being annoying now. At this point, like, the fact that y'all are all just, just like, oh, I'm such a bad person. I'm such a bad... Uh, yes, you're a bad person. Can we move on now? You're still connecting the work to your own validation as a good person. And that's not what this work is mm. to do, right? So that's why we're seeing that expression. That's why we're seeing that reaction not because the goodness of them is on the line. It's because they're doing this to prove that they are good. That's not why you do this work. Oh, that's it. It's just like your goodness, your worth is not up for debate. It never has been. You need to go ahead and internalize the goodness of who you are and start taking that out to the rest of the world. And if the thing about it is, when you make a mistake in earnest and like I'm trying to do the right thing and I make a mistake, like yes. your reaction will, like when you know that it's coming from a place, I think that this is the difference I for me, how I know, like if I'm morally offended that someone didn't like that I did something the way that I did it, it's just like, that's the ego talking. That's shame talking. That's mm. defensiveness talking. But if yeah. I do something and like, I remember, um, you know, I had a DM from somebody who said, hey, like, you know, the way that, you know, black organizers are using such and such hashtag is this, this, and this, and like the way you're doing is actually bringing more attention to you and not to the cause. And I was like, you're right. I am so sorry. Thank you for letting me know. And then I just, quick change, move on. I don't need to harp on it. Like I made, made, mm -hmm. I made one mistake one time. Someone corrected yeah. me. And, and yeah. if I cause like, yeah. and that's the thing about it is, it's like you allow those tiny, tiny little bits of correction and not even correction. It's like, we think of correction as like bad. It's like, no, it's so gentle. People are, you allow it, lands, the words will land as hard as your fist is, okay? The words will land as hard as your fist is. So open it up so that these words can land. Mm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I could talk to you for 10,000 hours, so I'm already sad <laughs> that I don't get to just talk to you all day. <laughs> but one of... <laughs> Uh, but that's a scarcity mindset and we're going to have an abundance mindset, which says there is enough time. There is enough because that is also what we are here for. But I think what um, I love everything you're saying per huge. 
And one of the things that I've learned from my friend, Austin Channing Brown, is she says, when people correct you, it means they still have hope for you. Nobody is correcting the people that they're just like, they're so far gone. I just don't even want to engage with them. Like if people, the, the time that it took for whoever DM'd you to say this, that like to literally just literally take the time and correct you, that took time out of their day. And, and so, uh, they didn't have to do that. Right. And I think, so. I mean, this is where I think it gets, um, I think this is where so many of too many of these, this work and these conversations are happening on the internet. And that is not a place for the majority of your work to be happening. Right. Like it, Mm. it, say that again. Well, you cannot just be doing this work on Instagram. Like if your your grid, I don't want to, I'm going to try to make a tweet happen right now. It's not going to just flow out of me, but like, are you really in relationship and like in real, like to some capacity you are, but those people are probably correcting you or engaging with you. Like they're going to call you <laughs> like, like the people that you, um, most people, most white people, if they're going to be corrected, it will be on Instagram because they don't actually have real people in their lives to do this work alongside. Cause they aren't, they haven't done that reorientation that we're talking about. And so it can feel like, whoa, someone just slid into my DMs and whoa, but you have no other framework for being corrected because the corrections I've received are rooted in love. They are rooted in grace. Like I have a whole chapter in my book called Amazing Grace. And it's basically about the grace that black women in particular have shown me because they are giving me what I do not deserve. We are lucky that people are just sliding into our DMs as opposed to saying, you Mm -hmm. know what, I'm actually going to take your babies, Jenny, and sell them. And I'm going to have their babies, 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 babies be enslaved. And then guess what? When they like, quote, get free, uh, we're all, we're going to segregate. We're going to give them nothing to rebuild their lives. We're going to, you know, like that would actually be... (laughs) What I quote unquote deserve. Justify, right? Right. But we get so much grace in this work, white people. Like, okay, someone was mad or, or by something you said, you're lucky that that's all they're doing is telling you that it offended them. Like, I would like us to, to recognize what we're really talking about, what, what the imbalance of power has looked like for so long. We are lucky that this is that that people are gracious enough to say come do this work with us that blows my mind sometimes and so yeah. if you don't have humility in this work if you don't have uh, a teachable like spirit i just then go away <laughs> like i just yeah because you will you, you like, will continue to do the harm if you don't have the i could be wrong about everything like even yes. like that's the, that's how I can still have conversations with my family about certain things is because I approach it from I could be wrong. And I also think that they could be wrong and I want them to approach with the same humility. But typically the uh, people don't. And I would say like, you know, white people don't, yeah. evangelicals don't because they've got, you know, they have to be quite certain of these things. Um, but also it's like, I'm not trying to go after my most extreme family members. I am not, I'm trying to pull the person who is 
in my sphere of influence who, like you said, I have a flesh and blood relationship with that I can say, hey, um, I was just having this like conversations with my boyfriend recently. Um, he's a, like me, a very ginger man, very white. Um, I'm half Mexican, but very white passing. Uh, yeah. And I talk about voting in politics all the time because that's what I do. And I noticed a couple of times as we were sitting around talking with his friends, he would say like very like neutralizing or I would, if I didn't know him, I would say he was being dismissive. Um, and I talked to him mm -hmm. about that and I'm just like, hey, I noticed that you do this. Do you? He's like, yeah, I kind of do. I'm just like, why do you think that is? He's like, I just never talk about it. I feel really uncomfortable. I'm just like, do you think it might be because mm -hmm. up until you started dating me, you were functionally a straight man? And you never had to think about like the fact that you like, you know, you and I could get beat up for holding hands in public in certain places or, but it, it really was one of those things where a lot of people, they, they do not know until they do. But it's just like, when you, yeah. when you know, you are, you must yeah. be willing to be responsible for what you know and not deny it anymore. And there's, there's like, there's a joy for me in responsibility. I want to be able to respond to the things that are hurting my friends. I yes. want to be able to respond to the things that are killing people in the communities that I love. And that's not a burden. That's a, that's a, that's a, uh, being grafted in, if you will. It's being brought into the family of God. Hello. Woo! But I, yeah, to go back to the certainty component, because I do think that is what we see time and time again. And I think certainty i don't know if i'm quoting someone or if this is an original but like certainty kills creativity certainty kills imagination yes. certainty kills wonder and those are the things that are involved in this work if you cannot imagine a different way if you cannot imagine a world where you and your partner can walk down the street without fear of being you know beat up or uh you know yeah like harmed in some way like physically or verbally it's because you have a lack of imagination for the world or because the world, you don't need to imagine a different way because the world's serving you just fine. And so I mm. think that's why so many white evangelical straight um, people can operate like in such places of certainty because they don't need to imagine a different way. Like this, this world is working just mm -hmm. fine. Why would I, why would I want to dream about a new way? Why would I want to dream about new society? Why would I need, to ruffle anyone's feathers and speak up about something that I don't actually think impacts like my world. So it doesn't impact the world. I mean, to talk about the lack of like the, 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 the skill set of empathy that I think is also required. I mean, I think you and I both have things that we can lean on as like, I am fully white. Like I am completely like, German, mm. English, you know, French, like that is my, that is my cultural heritage, my ethnic background. But to be a white woman, I know what it feels like to experience sexism, to experience, you know, the hands of the patriarchy. Mm. You as a queer man or a queer, mm. how do you identify? I don't want to. Queer person. So non-binary person. So queer person. Yeah. As a queer person, like you also have that, you understand understand that it doesn't work in all spheres for you. And I think when we have that, when we face both, uh, when we, when we are able to access both being the oppressor, but also having experience of being oppressed, we get to choose who we want to, 
you know, align with. And I think that's what we're seeing when people are so confused when we see like, you know, talking in obviously very binary terms, like white women voting overwhelmingly in the midterms or overwhelmingly for Trump. Um, and like even other people groups where you're like, what are you doing? Like, this is going against what is actually like better for people that you identify with and, and, and literally would make your life better as opposed to whatever, like, you know, Mm. boogeyman argument that you're being dangled in front of. But, but I think until you start seeing the stakes as, as worth it, as worth just to go back to what I said at the beginning, like you're afraid of the wrong thing. Like are the, like comfort, like, like keeps your friends being killed. Comfort keeps my friends being comfort means that Mm. my white kids that I'm raising are going to be recruited by alt-right groups in like five years, you know, like as opposed to courage, which says we're going to do the hard work now, which actually like once you start doing it is, freeing like it's like i think it's harder to stay in denial about what's happening i think it's harder Bingo. to double down go yes that's the thing is like like people like think of like i talk about spiritual practices all the time i also like i think that like this is a more free way of living i just have to say like yes. court, like like in comparison when i am you know, it's, it's like, I just think about my life before and after, like, uh, coming out and getting trained in the work and then, like, also, like, becoming a part of it, yada, yada, yada. It's that, like, I have never, like, I've never been more free. I've never yeah. been more excited about life. I've never been more hopeful, even though, like, in Georgia, like, things are wild down here. And we're, like, yeah. you know, Stacy, I'm sorry. Stacy, <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. Oh, Jesus Christ. Anyways, um, we're not going to be sorrowful yet. Um, What is your hope for the book and people who read it? Oh, well, I've always I've always visualized this book is an on ramp. Like I literally feel like so many white people need to get on the like fucking expressway (laughs) and they are mm-hmm. so terrified to go fast and to, you know, to get off their like neighborhood street and to go somewhere else. And so I've always kind of viewed this book as an on-ramp for white people who um, maybe wouldn't pick up another book on anti-racism for fear that they are going to be shamed or, I don't know, told that mistakes. And what my book as an on-ramp serves to do is to reassure them that, oh yes, those mistakes have happened. They will continue to happen. We move beyond that because the work is not to do this perfectly because there is no perfect because that's like trying to live perfectly. That's trying to create art perfectly. That's try, you know trying to like raise children perfectly. That's an antithesis that's to a system that we're trying to escape. And so I want people to get on the highway and say, oh, I'm, my, gra- my speed is increasing slightly. I am, you know, I am, I am, I'm more open to now learning and not just learning, but putting my, my body where my beliefs are, putting myself in 
places in my everyday life where before I was present, but I was not, I was, I was being complicit with the racism that's in my ordinary life. And now I'm holding up literally every place that I occupy from the people that I sit with around, you know, a a meal to where, where I worship or where I engage in my community to where my kids go to school. Like I'm holding it all up and I'm examining it and I'm going to declare that doing nothing is no longer an option. And what that means is I don't have to do everything, but it does force me to do something and I'm going to be brave and curious enough and gracious enough with myself to to be teachable to do it one step at a time without having all the steps figured out. So, I mean, I really do believe this work, you know, they um I think it's Tony Cade Bambera who says the role of the artist is to make the revolution irresistible. And I want to make the revolution of the flourishing of all people irresistible. Like some of my favorite Mm -hmm. reviews that I've gotten so far, like I had a white woman who wrote me and she said, or she like on Amazon reviewed it. And she just said, this book like makes me want to be in uncomfortable situations. Like Mm -hmm. this book, like, like I like long for that because that means that I have a chance to, to speak up or to amplify someone else's voice or to, you know, to do the the myriad of of responses but the the mm-hmm. discomfort isn't terrifying anymore the being called out isn't terrifying anymore it is that realignment of holy shit like this and you know the realization that white supremacy christian nationalism these things don't just stay confined to white people as we well like kevin we know this oh, right like yeah. this is yeah yeah if my kids come out like any any time you 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 uh, depart from this very rigid box, you are at risk. And even when you like quote belong in this box, it still is. You still don't even fit. You. Like you still don't even fit yes. in. Yes, it's only benefiting the empire. It's only benefi- benefiting yes. the the terrible group that wants to tear us down and tear us apart. And all the people in there are doing it because they believe that this is the only way. And anytime someone yeah. says this is the only way, oh my God, question it. Run. <laughs> run. Yeah, run. Yeah. So I, I think, you know, I don't want it to just sit. I, I don't want my book to just sit in people's shelves. I want these stories to connect to them and to remind them of their lives and to have them mm. actually take action in their lives. I want conversations with people's kids or just, you know, the young people that you have in your life. Like, I want those conversations to look different. I want your understanding of history to look different. The, the, Mm. the name of the bus trip that I went on in college is called Sankofa, which is a Swahili word, which means looking back in order to move forward. I don't want people reading this book to think, oh, what's in the past is in the past, both personally and, you know, in a society. Mm. Like I want history nerds to rise <laughs> from yes. from reading this book to have right to have this like insatiable need to understand where we've been so we can imagine and be inspired for going somewhere new and not just freaking repeating it over and over again 
Can I tell you that gets me excited to like dive into this book. I'm currently like head down getting this manuscript out because I have a January one deadline and I'm like, oh yeah, I can have it done by Thanksgiving. Lols. Lols. LOL. No, no, no. But you know, we're going to have a very rough, very rough draft by January one, but it'll. (laughs) Is this draft one? Yeah. I mean, like it's the, I plan on having like, I'm going to go through it one time before I send it like to be like the official, like this is my draft that I'm putting in. Whether or not they accept it is a different question. Um, I'm sure they will though. Writing Anyways, a book um, is so, like, I do love meeting, and I know that's not why we're here to talk, but like, I would love, I would, I just let me know how I can be cheering you on because writing a book is the most strange, like isolated, but like also vulnerable creative project. Mm-hmm. I think there might be, I don't know, like it's so solitary. And so mm-hmm. I am an extrovert. And so, and it was, I was writing mine during COVID and it was very hard. So I am just cheering you on. Let me know how I can, I don't know, send you cookies or something or coffee or whatever you need. But thank you. I appreciate that. Um, I don't know what, I don't know how I was talking about (laughs) anymore. You were saying you were um, so excited. This makes you excited. History nerds makes you excited. Yes, yes, yes. It, It makes me excited because what I would love to see for so many folks is if you can get this juicy stuff in your bones like these like i mean like you said it like story like storytelling changes things and the thing is like this is a better story this is a much more exciting story this is a much more delicious story this is a much more complete story Mm -hmm. this is a much more um liberating story for everybody across the board and it's one of like something i also think like in like my own personal solidarity work is just like if you can recognize that what you do in this work is also going to be of the greatest benefit to you, it's like be selfish in that then. Be be relentless. Like, it's like I don't want to compromise because this thing is the best thing. And when you realize that it's the best thing, like the salt, like not just like political power or like undoing things, but I'm talking about the richness of your life, people. Kevin, I remember it. Think yes. Can I can I fly to Georgia and give you a hug? Um, I yeah. I remembered. I remembered what I was going to say. There is this lie. It is a lie that this that doing justice work somehow is only good for the oppressed, not good for the oppressor, right? And and I'm, that's like such broad, you know, brush strokes to to paint it. But like. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you really, like, if you really want to get super, yes, broad, that's what we're talking about, right? Oppressor, oppressed. Institutions of oppression, people that experience it, you know. Um, and it's all, like, growing up, if you know, <laughs> growing up in the church, there was this, like, mindset of, like, oh, this is, like, you know, our compassion ministry, this is like what yes. we're doing, you know, like this is Our what we're doing. Ministry, the benevolence ministry, the benevolence fund. Yes. Like we just like, oh, we just like feel bad for those like poor people or we feel bad, you know, we just like, we have been blessed and those who've been blessed need to be a blessing. Like that is like the theology that I was raised in. And what, what doing this work and, and literally everything what you were just saying what I have recognized is when you are not doing these types, this types of work, 
when you are not doing this type of interrogation of how am I participating? How are my friends either more in danger or less in danger based on how I live my life? When I am thinking that this is beneath me, that this work is optional, you are disconnected from your own humanity. Your dehumanization of other people is dehumanizing yourself. So when you start living out of the humanity for other people, you're living out of the humanity for yourself. It's this, that's, it's this like, I, I literally say this in the book that like, how on earth, like what an amazing turn of events that the best thing for all people is actually the best thing for my soul as well. Right? Like, this, what? And that's like, how this is good? like, this is the... This is like the weird and delicious thing about good spiritual practice. And I think good life practice is something, of course, in Miracles says in the Manual for Teachers is that the manual or that the teacher of God is generous out of self-interest because they only give that which they could never lose. Because it's like when you are working on securing rights and freedoms for other people, when you're working to secure baby formula for all the babies, when you're working to secure the vote for all voters, when you are working to secure uh, trans he- uh, health care for trans folks and, and trans kids, when you're uh, fighting to make uh, places safer by, by, by passing gun reform, you're saving mm. your own fucking body. Why wouldn't you want to do that? <laughs> Why wouldn't you want to do that? Why wouldn't you want to do that? When I, uh, one of my spiritual mentors is amazing. And she, as I was figuring out how to leave a very toxic work environment, um, she reminded me, she had been fired from her job for, and I won't get into her Mm. story, but she came up with the mantra of, I lost the right things. I lost the right things. I lost a job that was asking me to dehumanize people. Don't want that job. Mm. I lost colleagues who didn't stand next to me and fight alongside and sacrifice. Those aren't the type of people I want in my corner anyway. You know, I, I lost like, and so that has also really, you know, similar to the, not if I make a mistake, but when I make a mistake, I want people in justice work to understand you will lose things. I will lose getting to just hang out with friends and like, uh, or people distancing from me because I like, Oh, here she goes again. <laughs> like she's, you know, because she's, she's making too us extreme. look at our lives. She's, t- like she's <laughs> right. too extreme. She wants too right. much. That's always a, th- mm. right. And it's like, no, 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 no. That's not, I losing that losing. Like I didn't lose myself. I didn't lose my integrity. I didn't lose my, convictions of of the ways that I want to engage in the world like I'm losing the right things so if you're afraid you're going to lose things you need to pivot and say what things are worth losing which I think ultimately goes back to that pastor guy that you were talking to who was so afraid of being canceled you are afraid of losing the wrong things you are afraid of losing standing within this white institution that upholds you you are you know you're afraid of not having influence within your church community. Well, to what end? Like, let's play yeah. this out. Why are we just like, what are we doing with the power that we have? If we're just terrified, if we're just clutching it so tightly, who is it serving? Yeah. It's not, Aren't it's just stressed out punches. It's not serving. Yes. Yeah. 
We're all like, Let I'm go. like, I think, got a stress like, ball. yeah, like, like I'm over here having the time of my life being free. We're all out here in the wilderness, like having like dancing around fires and all y'all are doing are like in your white straight jackets, just like, Ooh, God is love and hugging me. And I can't anyways, I know that we're, we're coming up on time. We could go on forever. We probably should eventually. Are you, are you in Chicago land? Yep. Um, I'm coming to Chicago in February, so let's hang out. Please. Like, yes, th- like, this is going to happen, Kevin. Once I find people, I get uh, weird. <laughs> me too. And, you want to get weird I mean, together? Cool weird. It's cool weird. <laughs> Mine's not cool no, weird. No, but I just... straight up weird. <laughs> okay, good. Uh, yes, please. I know we won't need to talk about this all the time, but yes, yeah, send me the dates you're here. I, we're around. Party. Um, I always do one thing to close out everything. It's just five questions. It's not quite rapid fire, but as rapid as you like. It's just one word, just one thing. So Jenny B. Potter, are you ready for just one thing? Love it. All right. What's one thing that you like about yourself? Uh, that I am, I think I'm a person that people might forget exactly what I said, but they'll remember how I made them feel. Mm. That's good. What's one thing you're super proud of? Or just regular this proud book. of? This book. Mm. I'm so, so proud of her. I'm so proud of this book. What's one thing that really pisses you off or is like a pet peeve? Can be like really serious or not so serious. <laughs> when people say, okay, I'm not going to lie. And then start talking because it's like, do I need that caveat every time? <laughs> okay, are you always like? I was like, I'm not gonna lie. I'm just like, I hope not. <laughs> I know. I'm like, Why? okay. <laughs> like, great, thank you. Or it's like when people say, Me neither. Can I? Can I be? Can I be open? Can I be truthful with you? And I'm just like, I hope. I hope you would be honestly. <laughs> What's one thing that you are super committed to? Racial justice. And what is one thing? that you want to do before you die? Visit Japan. Nice. What a lovely and achievable dream. I think that can happen for you. I I really hope. I, I've i never... We went to Australia like 10 years ago. I was like, damn, mm. we should have just kept on that flight a little longer. <laughs> like, we were so close. Tell people on the internet where they can find you and what your, where your internet stuff is, where can they get the book, etc book anywhere my favorite uh local black woman-owned business is semicolon shy you can uh order from that shop on i think it's like bookshop.org and find semicolon uh i am at jenny b is in the letter not as in the insect but jenny b potter on instagram and then my website is jennyboothpotter.com so i have twitter but i'm never on it and like I'm pretty sure I have to delete it. Right? I don't know. I don't really want to. I mean, I don't, I don't know. know. Like that's, We'll see. It's, it's, it's one of those things I'm just like, is this serving any purpose anymore? I don't know. I really don't. Um, anyways, I've loved hanging out with you. Thank you for doing the show with me. Yeah, I cannot believe this is our first like real conversation. I just, I think you're the bee's knees. And I just cannot wait to meet you in real life where we officially know it's happening as opposed to this vague, maybe I met you through some mutual Mm. friends one time, but we'll know for sure. 
and then we'll be able to start celebrating our friendship anniversary of the first day we met in person. <laughs> Have a good anniversary. I love a good celebration. I'm here for all this. And that was my conversation with Jenny Booth Potter. Please go pick up her new book, Doing Nothing is No Longer an Option, available wherever fine books are sold. Please buy local as you can. And Jenny, thank you so much for being on the show. Make sure to follow her across social media at Jenny B. Potter. All of the links are pasted in the show notes, obviously. Anyways, uh, I love that. What a fun time, right? Um, By the way, we're going to do a giveaway of her book. So if you're not following me on social media, please follow me at the Kevin Garcia. And when this episode drops, we're also going to be doing a giveaway. So please go follow Jenny as well. And you'll be automatically entered. Just, you know, all the rules are going to be on Instagram. Once again, that's Instagram.com slash the Kevin Garcia and slash Jenny B. Potter. Okay. I think that's everything. Oh, two more announcements before I head out. Uh, I said at the top of the show, the audiobook for Bad Theology Kills is coming out on Audible very soon. And if you want to get a sample of that, please head on over to thekevingarcia.com slash subscribe. And when you become a subscriber, I'll send you a link so you can download the introduction and I believe some of the first chapter. It's like a solid 20 minutes. It's so good. And it's also the juiciest part of the book. So go check it out. The second thing I want to say is we're going to Costa Rica in 2023, June 2023. You want to go to Costa Rica? You want to go with a bunch of gay people? You want to go with a bunch of queer people, a bunch of other people who like maybe you did mission trips and you're like, I've never traveled internationally just for pleasure. And I've never been on like a spiritual retreat before either. And it's been a while since I've actually taken a fucking vacation for myself. Maybe I want to go with, with Kevin and friends to Costa Rica. Um, because we're going. So you can go to the Kevin, you can go to my website and just click on Costa Rica 2023 to reserve your spot. Early bird pricing is $200 off. There's only eight spots for early bird. So uh, let's go. That's it. That's it. That's the end of my conversation. That's the end of my stuff. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of A Tiny Revolution. Please follow me at the Kevin Garcia. Please leave us a rating in Spotify and um, share it with a friend. I think that's everything. So please, till next time, babe, take your meds, call your person, shake your ass, eat something delicious, take a nap, pet a dog, and um, I love you. I'll see you next week. Bye-bye.